This morning as we were walking in, um, I was walking with Pastor Paul, and he was saying, I love this weather. This is such a wonderful season for a lot of people, partly because it's a season of productivity. It's a season for me of a lot of reflection. My birthday is in October, and I always really have a chance to think about my life, where I've come, who have I become, um, where God wants me to be. Uh, this October, and especially this November, December, is going to be a little different, very different, partly because of what happened to us last December. And those of you in the community know, my family went through this excruciating tragedy. It's uh, almost 10 months now, and we're still in it. It's still such a daily experience of loss, grief, pain. And as I'm thinking about my life, where I've come, where I'm supposed to go, I'm thinking about this year. God brought me back to memory of this January. January was one of the tougher months because uh, it was so raw and so fresh. Um, my daughter died in December. And so January, my mind was flowing into every thought possible of the what-ifs, the what am I supposed to do, what are, what, how do I, you know, how do we live now, uh, given all this, and... Um, he brought my mind back to January, not because I, it's a, it's a, there's a clarity. In fact, I don't barely remember January. We went to, on a trip, and um, I was very active. I was concierging for my, my uh, wife and daughter, bringing them places, trying to find ways to just give us a bit of a respite. At the same time, all the stuff that was going through my mind and heart. And I realized there was a one coping mechanism that I kept running to over and over again, all day long. I'm thankful this was a coping mechanism that started off that way, but it ended up being a route, a lifeline. Um, every time I would start to lose my grip on hope and fall into despair, I would just, you know, have my Bible on my phone and on my iPad, and I would just, I would read, and I would talk to God, I would listen for Him, because I needed to hear Him. Um, People would come and they would ask, how you're doing? And I would do my best to share. I gotta be honest, that didn't help that much. I think other people, it does, but it really didn't. Nobody fully understood what it felt like. Nobody fully could be there. And it's not, it's not anybody's fault. I mean, our church was so supportive. Um, but I needed to hear from God. I needed to hear what he was saying and what he would do. Where was he? So I, I went on a, a hunt for him, just in prayer and scripture. When you boil things down and all you got, you, got, you know, you don't have time for all the junk. I could listen to sermon after sermon on YouTube, but actually that really didn't help much. Um, I went right to the scriptures and I went right to God, face to face. I read the whole Bible in the month of January. I think back, just, I don't know how I made it through, honestly. Um, but I realized he met me every day. Every time I was slipping into despair, he met me. And he still does. And I was reminded of just how potent this life with God, accessing him, his word, his presence through scripture and prayer. It's great to have a church. It's great to have, uh, I mean, I got a community of pastors, counselors up the wazoo, but when it comes down to the reality of 
I just need God. It was him meeting me firsthand. It made all the difference in the world. And it still does. It still does. Went back to ministry in February and March, and things got busy and more uh, activity. You know, and I realized that even though I was spending time with him, it, was, it wasn't the same. Maybe it's because I was feeling a little better. Maybe it's because uh, it was, there was some distance. But I realized July and August, wow, after six months, I'm, I'm still a mess. We're still a wreck. I still need God every single day, more than I ever thought I would. And every time I come to that realization, he's there. He's present. He knows exactly what to say to get me, not only just through the day, Give me a hope that's durable, that's alive. And I find there is no substitute to a first-hand relationship with God. You don't have to go through a crisis like we did. We don't have to go through a trauma like we did. There is no substitute. You can be part of an amazing church. You can have counselors up the wazoo, spiritual leaders, directors, guides. There is no substitute to a first-hand relationship Daily communion experience of God. As I was reflecting on just my own experience and how hard it is, actually, sometimes you need this incentive of just desperation. But I realized that many in our community, too, we have so many resources. We have so many wonderful mentors. We have, so, we have such wonderful, you know, Places of grace for us to go to. And yet, I find, it's not simply for me, but I got this instinctual, deep, deep conviction that we're never going to be the people we need to be. We're never going to be able to grow into the life of God that we're called to be without this first-hand living reality with God. It's not just a pastor speaking or just a person going through an experience that's kind of sharing but this is the conviction of Scripture, that God, even though he, we encounter Him community, the one-to-one, the first-hand encounter and relationship with God, there is no substitute. For me and for us, when you boil it down, on top of all the other stuff, if you don't have a life with God in the Scriptures and in prayer, something's missing. I find that that's the case with the church in the United States just broadly. If you go to any missions context, what are they doing? They don't have all this other stuff. They got God. They got scripture. They got prayer. And it is more than enough to empower them to live brilliant lives under the most incredible stress, even persecution. We who are rich in resources are poor in a first-hand relationship. I don't even know how to even begin to prompt us to, to move into that. Because we have so much. We have YouTube of the wazoo, you know. There's, you could spend all day forever, and you can spend all day doing spiritual things on YouTube forever and never come to the end. Uh, we have so much. And yet, it's all, so much of it is still secondhand. Secondhand is not bad. Because a lot of that is through the 
people who've experienced God, you're getting something secondhand, but secondhand without firsthand is empty. Secondhand with firsthand is even fuller. And so I tried to put together a map of what it would look like to give us a chance, the space, the accountability to carve out, to hammer out a sustainable lifestyle of getting into God's presence daily, face to face, through scripture and prayer. I couldn't find anything online. I couldn't find anything on YouTube. I, did, I, I looked, but I didn't look, you know, exhaustively, but I looked. All the stuff is great series, and we've done some amazing series, Gospel and Life, Tim Keller. We've done Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Cesaro at New Life Church. We've done some of, the, some of the most innovative and highly touted materials that are out there. And that's great. All good stuff. But when it boils down to do we have this daily access, this daily encounter with Christ, it is something that I feel like that's where God wants us to double down on. This first-hand relationship, first-hand lifestyle where you can go to him. You know exactly how he feels about you. Even if, even if it doesn't work the way that you, you, know, you don't get the warm fuzzies, you know he's present. You can pour out your heart. You can hear him. You're learning about him. You're becoming like him because of this constant exchange, this daily engagement with him. And so I didn't find a better word for this, in fact. Um, so I'm going to try to change our understanding of it. But I want to set us on a course for eight weeks where we're going to try to hammer this out. Something that we do, not just hear about. But at the end of eight weeks, I'm really hoping, and I'll give you more details along the way, I'm really hoping that something will have been started, something we can f stay accountable to and follow through, where we're, we're building this, we're developing this. We are responding to the invitation of God to have a first-hand relationship with Him. I preached a whole sermon on this, first-hand versus second-hand spirituality. And um, I was very proud of myself because I thought I did a good job. But actually, sermon doesn't really do it for you. But just for you to understand, for those of you who weren't there, this is back in 2015, what the difference between a first-hand and second-hand experience is like, there is a huge difference from hearing it from somebody versus experiencing it yourself. This is the delicate arch in Arches National Park. I was just there. Okay. And the picture's nice. People see the picture. Ooh, that looks really nice. It looks like a, like a postcard. right? I was there. I can tell you. That doesn't come close to how amazing and how beautiful that is. Okay. That's proven. I took that picture, okay? I'm like, to my friend, I'm like, couldn't you just put the arch next to me? Like, why do I have to? Put... <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Um, right. But I can tell you when you get there, it is just stunning. Because you're climbing and you're climbing and then you get up there and like, bam, it hits you. This amazing scene, this backdrop that just goes on forever. And this massive arch, it looks like this little small little thing. It's gigantic, just sitting there in the middle of this. It's like almost like God saying, see, come here, I prepared this for you. It is just stunning. Have you ever been to Grand Canyon? I've been there twice. It takes your breath away. You can describe it all you like. And I wish I was a better poet at times. There's nothing like being there. Actually, it's even better when you hike. 
because you feel like you kind of earned the experience. It's, uh, I don't know what it is, but it, it feels better that way. Okay. It's, you can describe it all you like. You can see pictures of it. It's different. Experiencing it firsthand. A couple weeks ago, we had one of our church members uh, who is a budding gourmet chef uh, cheat. We had a ministry fair, and he built an incentive in, so if you come and stop by this, his station or his wife's station, he would give you this delicious piece of meat. You missed it! Okay, I'm going to describe it to you. He got this meat that he aged himself. Okay, that's a little dangerous, by the way, but he did a good job. <laughs> nobody got sick. Um, and then he sous vide it, which is you put it in a, a vat of water at a perfect temperature, so it's perfectly medium rare. Okay. I think he said 130 degrees. I do 128, but 130 degrees. Perfectly medium rare. Right? Soft, okay, just perfect. Aged meat. And then he had this butane porch. Torch, and as you would come, you would cut a slice, and he would just sear it in front of you. The smells, the crackles, okay. And then you take a piece, which is hot still, not only because it's coming out of the sous vide bath, but also he seared it, perfectly medium rare, seared on the outside. And you dip it into some truffle salt, and you put it in your mouth, and it explodes. You can taste the meat. Right? So I can describe it to you, but would you rather have someone describe it, to you, or would you rather eat it? By the way, he's going to do something for our hiking trip, and so. I'm building you up, by the way. Uh, <laughs> too many expectations. But you get a sense of what the difference is like hearing about it, seeing a picture of it, versus those of you who are there, you know what I'm talking about. You tasted it. There's a difference between hearing about somebody and actually experiencing them in a relationship. I can talk about my family. I can talk about my friends. Different if they are in relationship with you. That's kind of the analogy. That's kind of the reality that helps us to realize. There's a difference between hearing about God, talking about God, talking to God. It is night and day. Hearing from God. Even this great saint, Job, in, in the message. Sorry, that passage didn't show up again. I thought I cleaned it out. Sorry. Um, I'm going to go back up here. Where he actually, by the time he comes into this, the story of Job is, he starts out this man who looks like he knows God. He is blameless and upright. That means everything that he does and he lives is in response to how God wants him to live. He's not perfect. Blameless doesn't mean perfect, but it means that he has oriented his life with total attention toward God. God says he's blameless and upright. He fears God. There is a genuine recognition of God's greatness and his response to that. He shuns evil. These are four of the most highly remarked aspects of what it means to be a knower and a lover of God, given to him before he goes through his incredible travail, where in a night, in a day, he loses all of ten children. All of his massive wealth is gone. And then on top of that, he's, he's given boils where he is so itchy that he has to scratch with shards of pottery and it doesn't give him relief. He's in that place of having it all, having it all taken from him. And if you follow the story, his friends come and they weep with him for seven days, but then they start to talk. And as they're talking, they're speaking about God. They're telling him all these things. You should repent because you did something wrong. I know God better than he knows himself. They're talking about God constantly. And this is the interesting part is, if I was Job, I think 
These sound so right. These, I mean, as a pastor, their argumentation is so sound. But Job refuses to hear all seven of his friends. He demands for God to tell him. Because Job holds out for a first-hand spirituality. And then God, after 41 chapters, finally shows up in this whirlwind, this theophany, and he talks to Job out of the wind. And he says, Job? He doesn't say, good going, faithful, my faithful servant. He says, who are you? Are you God? Did you make all of this? Do you cause the deer to give birth? Do you cause to set the foundations of all of creation? Do you have power over these incredible, powerful, are you strong in these powerful uh, creatures? The amazing part is, you would think Job is like, I had to wait for this God to give me a lesson on that he's God and I'm not God. Watch Job's response. He says, in repentance. And this is, the, this is in the message, by the way. It's translated by Eugene Peterson. Uh, it's great translations all the way through, but some of these sections, this is one section that I, I think is, he did such a beautiful job. But he says, this is Job acknowledging where he is now compared to where he was before. I admit, I once lived by rumors of you. I shaped my life because of the second-hand information I got from you. That's how faithful he was, but that wasn't enough. What is he saying now? Now, I have it all firsthand. From my own eyes and my own ears. That experience of coming face-to-face with God changed all of that bitterness and rage and frustration and confusion, it's all gone. You didn't get one answer. All he got was, he heard from God. I didn't get one answer. i got to be honest. All I got was, I heard from God. But look at him. He says, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I refuse to live that way again. I will never again live by rumors of you. I promise. He was given the chance to live his life first-hand place, a first-hand spirituality. He says, I will never again live on crusts of hearsay. Okay? The, not the regular part of the, the, the bread, but the, the part that you just kind of, that you throw out sometimes. The extra, the junk. The crumbs of rumor. The stuff that you could just shove your mouth with crumbs, but it's just not enough. It does not satisfy. Versus the heart of the bread. The heart of the bread is this face-to-face life with God. Job had a taste of that. He didn't get his answers given, but he was face-to-face with the living God. And that's how he describes it. I used to live second-hand, hearing all these sermons, trying to do my best to please God, wondering where he was, wondering why I was going through this. That's more than enough. In fact, I will never live that way again. Anybody who's had a live relationship with God understands this. They don't go back. Well, Jesus actually kind of does something similar. He walks his disciples through, and it sounds like, in many ways, there is a process happening. 
They start off secondhand. Yes, they're there, and Jesus is talking to them, but they don't quite understand. They don't quite know him. They have not entered into a full firsthand relationship. You know, he does something, and they're like, what's going on? They totally miss him, especially in the book of Mark. They're like clueless. Okay? They're trying to make sense of him with everything that they heard growing up. But there comes a time when they finally begin to understand who he is, what he's doing, and why. And Jesus does a little preemptory, but he actually says this. Describing the difference in his understanding between a first-hand and a second-hand relationship. He says, now I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. In other words, a servant just does things without knowing why. They're not brought into the heart of the master's plans and hearts. But in fact, he says, now I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father I've made known to you. Growing up, I always thought, oh, it's really nice. Jesus wants to be my friend. Anybody see that? I sing a lot of hymns because my father was part director growing up. What a friend we have in Jesus. Blah, 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 right? I can't remember in my head right now. Um, but it's such a beautiful thought. Oh, Jesus is my friend. But actually, he doesn't say this to a lot of people. He doesn't say this to his own disciples. Having spent three years with them, he says this here. In fact, this is a graduation moment. He's saying, you walked in a second-hand relationship. Even though you're watching me, you didn't quite understand. But now, I'm inviting you, just because of his grace, into a first-hand. I call you friends. Because I'm sharing everything. Everything that's in my heart, in my plans, I'm sharing with you. That's what we are invited to. It doesn't happen just because, oh, Jesus wants to be my friend. Okay, what's up, neighbor? What's up, friend? You know? Can I, can I poke you on Facebook? Yeah, I didn't know how to use this, this, this uh, technology before. So I'd go to India and all these people would, can I be your friend? I was like, okay. And then, and then I would get these friend requests from people I'd never met before. I was like, oh, whatever. You know? Some people like to having a lot of numbers of people. Like, but I went through my Facebook and I was like, who is this person? Why are they asking me to join all these groups I have no idea about? And this is a little weird. So I had to cut them all out. It's like, honestly, I don't even know you. Right? We have this twisted notion of what friendship is. Jesus doesn't. His friendship is all in, fully engaged. When he knows you, he will never leave or forsake you. He's calling us to that kind of friendship, not just received, but echoed. How do we get to this level of friendship? How do we build this kind of life? I can tell you, you can hear as many sermons as you like. You can do all of this thing. There is no substitute for a daily life with God. In the scriptures, in prayer. All the saints throughout the scriptures have understood this. All the churches have always operated out of this. They never had their scriptures. I've got like five different apps on here with like 12 different English versions, uh, Greek and Hebrew. I mean, this is the most powerful thing in the world for a Bible scholar. I don't even need a laptop. It's all right here. They didn't have all that. So what did they do? They actually came together and they just read. That's how they heard scripture. But that's how they did it. They came to pray regularly. But for us, with all that access, we still think it's impossible. Right? If I asked you, okay, I want you to, your homework assignment is from here on out, next eight weeks, you're going to spend time in the scriptures, starting from 15 minutes to maybe 30 to 45 minutes every single day, six days a week, what would you say? What? 
Pastor, how could you expect me to spend all that time? You know how busy I am? You know how much stuff I have to do? I've got kids, I've got work, I've got fantasy football, right? How do you expect me to do this? And we think that it's impossible. But I think we have no idea, not only how accessible the scriptures are, but in fact, the capability we have to engage in breadth and in depth, both God's word and his presence. God's made it so. So when I first thought of uh, reading the scriptures all from, from start to end, I didn't do it till I was 25, by the way. Um, it was really hard. I mean, I graduated from a pretty good college. I still didn't read the Bible. From, I couldn't. It was hard. And can you imagine if I told you to read the Bible? Like, what? The Bible is so big. Right? Um, well, let me, let me do some math. Okay, I'm not good at math, but this is some basic math. Average reading speed is 200 to 250 minutes. Well, about words a minute. And in fact, I bet you most of us here are there faster. Okay? We have some very, we do a lot of reading for what we have to do, right? And in the words in the Bible, that seems a lot. Oh, 775,000 words, that's a lot of words, right? That's more than War, War and Peace. Okay, I read War and Peace. That was, that was hard to read. Bible? That's a lot. How do you read through all of that? How long do you think it was going to take if I just read the Bible every day? How how many minutes would it take per day, on average, for me to read to read through the whole Bible in a year? You think, wow, that's just crazy. Bible in a year? Ten minutes a day? Ten minutes a day? That doesn't seem like much, does it? Um, I've heard 12 minutes a day. I've heard 15 minutes a day. You can take it slow. You can probably do it faster. I read a lot faster than 200 words a minute. Um, it's not about speed. This is just saying what you think is inaccessible, the large story of God's love and plan that you, your story gets just infused with. What you think is impossible is so possible if you do it a little each day. But we do this a lot each day, right? What do you think is the average? Ten minutes, can read you the Bible, and we spend 240 on our phone. Some of us are reading the Bible on our phones, but not all of us. Most of us aren't. Yeah. Right? So it's not an issue of discipline. It's not an issue of righteousness. Look at me. I read through the Bible. It's, this, it's, a, it's an issue of access. Are you giving God access to your heart? The things that really matter through your time. Are you giving access for Him to speak? For Him to hear? He knows, but He loves to hear. Ten minutes a day. So I did a little survey. This is back in September, uh, early in the month. And it was really simple. How many minutes a day do you read the Bible? You guys remember that? How many, minutes a day is it, uh, how many minutes a day do you read the Bible and how many minutes a day do you pray? And I tried to find the United States. I could not find any estimate. Um, I did, I did, we did say that at least 60% of us read the Bible. Some measure, some said two minutes, some said five. One person said 60 minutes. Yes, I was so happy as a pastor. Yes! I think it was Pastor Paul, but that's the side story. Right? <laughs> okay? 60 minutes! That's awesome. Two people said 45 minutes. That's great. Okay? Um, but 60% of us read the Bible, at least some measure. Maybe it comes through a devotion or whatever. Um, that's great. By the way, the national average for churchgoers actually is 19. So we're, we're doing great. If you're, if, you're in, if you're in New York, you think metrics, you know, just to make you feel better. We're doing great. 84.2% are praying. 
Uh, I, I do have to say that a lot of those were two minutes. I'm assuming those are the prayers that you pray before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Um, that still counts. That still counts, right? Um, but if you look at the average amount per day, 8.6 minutes. That's because 60 minutes and 45 minutes and 45 minutes, that's a big chunk. If you take out the top three and take out the top bottom three, and just leave the main in the middle, it drops down to five minutes. But still, there's a lot of people who read scripture at least five minutes a day. Uh, that could read you the Bible in two years. Right? If you are an average reader. Right? Um, second, uh, ten minutes of prayer. Right? So this is not saying that we're, we're all sometimes in bed saying, wow, it doesn't seem like much. We could do more. The real test is, how is this practice building into your life a relationship with God? Just reading the Bible is not enough. Just doing the prayer is not enough. But somehow, in the midst of this, bring us to a place of giving God access. As I described last week, getting in the very way of the flow of grace. Knowing who God is and what He wants for us. There really is no substitute for this kind of practiced life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and this is in the English Standard Version, it says, let the word of Christ, the NIV says message, it's the same kind of idea. It's a, it's a, it is both the scriptures and bigger. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There should be such an access to God's truth and how he's speaking to you, not through the scriptures alone, but directly to you, so much so that there is an overflow. Somebody else is going through something and you actually have a confidence because you have experienced God firsthand. You have the access to God's living truth. You are living in it. Let it dwell in you. It's not a visitor. It's not somebody who goes to a hotel and spends a night. It's not a one-night stand. Somebody who's come to live with you. That word is so close. It is a constant presence. The very presence of Christ with the word of Christ dwelling in you not in a shallow way, richly. This is the call for every person in Christ. So that you can even teach and admonish. Something else is going in somebody else's life, you can encourage them, you can speak from the very heart of God. Because you know Him. You have a first-hand relationship, a rich first-hand relationship with Him. You can go around singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness. That is not an easy thing to do, by the way. Okay? It's hard to do that. Unless you are letting God's truth and His presence dwell richly, and then before you know it, you're constantly singing because He's with you. This is such a beautiful command and promise we're called to have. It, we don't get there with just coming to a sermon every now and then, tapping into YouTube here and there. This is the second verse from the book of the message that I thought was translated really beautifully. This is from Matthew chapter 7. That reminds me and reminds us the, the way, this life of Christ, it can't be found by doing it part-time or in our spare time. Jesus says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God, it's vigorous and requires total attention. I found that to be so true. But if you 
follow through, pursuing God in a daily way, even though it's vigorous, and it draws from you your whole attention, something emerges. You're actually brought into this place where you know God. He's speaking to you. He actually calls you friend. Well, the only way to do this is by practicing it. Doing it over and over and over again until it becomes not just familiar, until it becomes treasured. I used to hate this phrase because I was told it over and over again. You've got to do it again until you make no mistakes because, you know, Asians are like that. Okay? 99 is not good enough. You have to have 100, right? No credit. You have to do it until you can do it flawlessly every time. But that's not the way the, word, the scriptures use the word perfect. Perfect in the scriptures doesn't describe mistake, um, you know, error-free. It describes mature. This is what you look like when everything is finally done. My dog, she's, not, she's actually nine months old now, and uh, she's 70 pounds, and she's almost at the adult size. She's going to be 80 pounds. She's almost at the adult coat. Hopefully, she'll still stay a little pettable. But she's almost finalized. That's the language when God says, be perfect like I am perfect. God's plan is for us to think like him, move like him, feel like him, live like him. Because, not only because we're his children, because we've built this life, this first-hand life. I love this. The only way to grow in Christ through a traumatic season, through a life, actually, with God, as vigorous as it is, requires daily practice. Doing it over and over and over again. So I'm going to lay out some of the things that we're going to try to do. Um, and I try to think about what would be very meaningful. If, I, if we do a lot of stuff, okay, my first series in this was, okay, we're going to do scripture and prayer and worship and service. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's too much. So we boil it down to just two things. Simple, right? How do we build into our life regular time of encountering God through scripture, hearing him both through his word, also through his spirit, and a time of prayer? listening for his voice through the scriptures also, but also a time of response in asking him and talking to him. Well, um, it's going to be where every day there's going to be a, a portion of time we spend. It's going to start off 15 minutes. Okay? 15 minutes is not that hard, right? It's, it's doable. 15 minutes, and there's going to be a section of scripture we're going to start off kind of with a larger kind of ingest, larger sections of scripture to give us this accessibility. So we start with some prayer, some scripture, some reflection, and some prayer. That's it. But each time we're going to fill it with different things so that we're getting a, both the breath, and then we're going to, week four, we're going to talk about meditation. How to stay in these short verses and just camp there. Let God speak to us through that. So you get a chance to see two sides. Um, we're going to talk about hearing God through the scriptures and through his voice, as well as talking to God. How do we intercede? How do we uh, make petition? But instead of just doing the talking about this is how we're going to do it, we're going to intersperse with what it's going to take. One of the things I found is the most important, probably the most powerful ways to make this into your lifestyle. This is not true with only of, of a, a devotional life, a life where you're giving God your total attention. That's what devotion means. 
is accountability. When you do this by yourself, it's really hard. Very few people make it through. By the way, uh, many years ago, we took a group of people, two groups of people, through this year-long journey. They ended up reading through the Bible and memorizing verses every week and every day sharing what God told them through a devotional that they had to share with other people. Nobody made it uh, perfect, okay? But the amazing part was the way that they, we got through it was with accountability. Okay? I can see some of the faces of people who finished it. They're like, Pastor, you tortured us! Because I'd be like, every day, you know, oh, it was actually, it was, it was tough. But it's the accountability. You know you're doing with other people. Okay? It's not just misery loves company. It's just you find that it's meaningful because you're on a journey together. So since July, Pastor Richard and Pastor um, Paul and I have been doing this six days a week. We read through the scripture. Sometimes it's just a few chapters. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 30, depending on how we've gone through. Um, and then we, we highlight a certain section that we've meditated through and we share. What did God say to us? What are we going to do? We're not going to do that directly in these groups. But I can tell you, there were days I really didn't want to do that. But it's the accountability that actually gave me this, all the more of rigorous kind of ability to practice this. Accountability, we're going to talk about it during, in between these, is, one of, is going to be the thing that I'm going to really call us to do. We're going to talk about habits, how to make them, how to keep them. We're going to talk about follow-through, how important it is. So we're not just going to be talking about how do we read scripture, how do we pray, and how do we do this in a very sustainable way, but even if you don't are part, part of the grace groups, this is actually a way to look at how do we make something so important a part of our daily life. Ultimately, it's about getting in the way of grace. Because God is going to meet us through the busyness of life, through the confusion of life, through the pain of life, and through the joy as we give Him access. Would you bow your heads with me as we enter close and pray?